created you and me for a specific purpose. As we quoted, as we were dedicating Oakley and Riley, in Psalm 139, the Bible says that when we were in our mother's womb, that God knit us together, literally with his own hands, God knit us together, and that every day of our life was ordained by God and written in his book before one of them came to be. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And the Bible tells us that <clears throat> we were created for God's glory. Now, oftentimes we as Christians, we throw around that term to the glory of God and, and for God's glory and we want God to be glorified, but we don't really exactly know what that means. Well, the glory of God is the sum total of all the attributes of God. It's all that God is, his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence, and his holiness, we just sang about it, his power, and you know, his love, and his justice, and, and, and when you add everything that God is, and then you multiply that by infinity, because he has no limit, you put all of that together, that is the glory of God. And so when God reveals what he is like and something of God becomes known and people see, oh, so God is loving, see what he did, or God is holy, or what, whenever something of God is revealed and made known, that's what it means for him to be glorified. So when God created you for his glory, that means God created you so that people would see him in you and see him through your life. That people would learn what God is like because of what he's doing in you and through you and for you. Therefore, my life and your life is really not about me. It's really about what God does for me and in me and through me so that others might see him. It's like my life and your life is like a book. Our life story is like a book. But you and I are not the hero of our own life story. Jesus Christ is the hero in the book of your life. And all of the events and all the circumstances and all the things that are happening are all orchestrated in such a way as so that the hero of the book can be displayed and be revealed. So therefore, God often leads you and me as his children. When we say to him, Lord, my life is yours, I want to follow you, what do you want me to do? And we seek him and we start trying to follow what we believe to be the will of God, he will often lead us into really difficult, impossible situations. I mean, every good story needs a crisis, right? I mean, if, 
if you started reading the book and it just started good and it never, nothing ever, there was no drama, there was no crisis, and they were just kept, you know, it just was wonderful all the way through, really that wouldn't make for a very good book or a very good movie. It's always that there's some crisis, some dilemma, it looks like an impossible situation, and then at the last minute, the hero of the story shows up and saves the day. And that's what God does in our lives. So you and I, as children of God, yielded to God, saying, God, I want to follow you and be in your will, will oftentimes be led into impossible situations. You'll be led into difficulty. You'll be led into situations where you don't have the resources to know what to do. You you, you can't solve this problem. You can't You don't know what to do. You don't have the knowledge, the skill, the smarts, the the money. You're in this, you're just in an impossible situation and you need a hero. You need Jesus to do something for you you cannot do for yourself. And God shows up, God comes through, and God reveals himself to others through you. And he is glorified. Now, oftentimes, when you and I, as God's children, trying to do the will of God, then we find ourselves oftentimes, I'm trying to follow you, Lord, and yet here I've hit this impossible situation. Or I'm in this crisis. Why have you allowed this, this to come into my life? I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do what you want me to do. I want to please you. And we somehow, because we often don't understand or think about the ways of God, we often think that if we yield ourselves to God and we follow him and we're walking in his will, we think that I'm doing this for God. But you see, God is not looking for someone who will do something for him. Because nobody is impressed when you and I do our best for God. The lost world will look at you and me when we have sacrificed and we've worked and we've done all we can do, and the lost world will look at us and go, well, isn't he religious? Isn't he sincere? But they don't see God doing anything. But what gets people's attention is when I am in a situation where I can't deal with it and God comes through miraculously and they see God at work, then that's what draws people to God. Therefore, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, a passage that many of you could quote, it says, the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's ranging throughout the whole earth looking for those that he can work in their behalf to those whose hearts are fully committed to them, to him. So God is looking for someone that he can show his power and glory in their behalf because their hearts are fully committed to him. Now, what does it mean that their hearts are fully committed to him? Well, that verse, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, is being written to King Asa, king of Israel. Now, Asa was a man who earlier in his life had demonstrated great faith in God. 
and he had trusted God, and he and the nation were in an impossible situation. There was a, an army that began to attack them that the Bible says was innumerable. They were outnumbered. They couldn't possibly survive. And Asa turned to the Lord and relied on the Lord and said, God, we need a hero. We need you to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And God came through and miraculously delivered them and defeated their enemies. Now fast forward in Asa's life, and Asa and the nation come into another crisis. They're being threatened by another army. But this time, Asa doesn't rely on the Lord. This time, he makes an alliance with another neighboring nation. And he made a deal with them and said, would you come fight and help me fight them? And after he did that, that's when the Lord said to him, the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And he said, you have not relied on the Lord and because you didn't rely on me, but rather you relied on this other king, he said, then he's been, he will escape your hands. God is looking for someone who will trust him, someone who will rely upon him so that he can show himself strong in your behalf and he gets the glory and you get to experience the miraculous intervention of God in your life. There is nothing more exciting, nothing more fulfilling, nothing more thrilling than when God shows up and God comes to your aid, when God works in our behalf. And that's his plan to be the characteristic of all of our lives. His desire, he created you for his glory. He created you to show up through your life. So he leads us into impossible situations, and when we will trust him and live by faith, God comes through, he is glorified, and we get to experience him, and we get to encounter and learn more about this amazing, amazing God. So God is looking for people who will trust him, people who will live by faith faith. Because when you understand the ways of God and you understand that your life is and the, the events of your life are being orchestrated to set the stage for God's miraculous demonstration of power and provision, then when you are trying to do the will of God and you're trying to follow God and you run into obstacles and you run into difficulty and things begin to happen to you that that are, are difficult and impossible, rather than therefore misinterpreting that and thinking that this is happening because God doesn't care, or this is happening because God's not answering your prayers, or these things are happening because somehow, you know, that, that God is, is, you know, not with you or whatever, just the opposite is going on. That when God leads his people into impossible situations, he is fulfilling the purpose for which you were created, to display his glory through your life. He doesn't want you to be scared by that. He doesn't want you to be frustrated or upset or disappointed or fearful. He wants you to trust him. So when you yield yourself to him 
and you say, God, I want to do what you want me to do, God will oftentimes, therefore, reveal to you just enough information so that you have to begin down this path. And you will, it will be required that you live by faith because he's often leading you into a box canyon. He's often leading you into the impossible. And if you sit back and you try to figure it out and you try to rationalize it, you kind of, and many of us always sit back and we never take that step of faith because I've got a thousand questions or I don't know how I'm going to do it or I don't see how I can afford that or I don't, and I've got all these impossibilities, so I won't go that direction. So I never am in a situation where God can show up in and through my life. And many of us live our Christian lives and we wonder, well, where is God? You know, we say we believe all these facts about God, but we so seldom ever see the miraculous taking place in our life. And the miraculous will not take place unless you follow him by faith. Faith is an action word. Faith is not just something you believe. Faith is something you believe that results in you taking an action. For example, if somebody came in and started running through the hallways out here and they were hollering fire, and you believed this building was on fire, some of you would say, no, I'm going to sit here and wait for Glenn to finish this amazing message. But most of us would have a different response to that. Most of us, if we believed fire, we would take an action. And we would get up and we would make our way out and parents would run get their kids and there would be all kinds of, we would all respond in a way that because we believed it was on fire. When you believe that God is leading you to do something, it requires you to take a corresponding action. Faith is an action word. In fact, the Bible tells us that faith that does not result in action is dead. Didn't it say that in James chapter 2? Faith without corresponding works is dead faith. So biblical faith is believing that God is wanting me to do this, and therefore, because God wants this done, I am going to start in that direction, and you take a step of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's a passage, this whole chapter is about men and women who lived and followed God by faith. And this is a list of some of the great heroes of the faith and we see in this list a group of people who trusted God and their stories are not about what they did for God. Their stories are about the miracles God did in and through them. But I want you to notice something. I want us just to read a portion of this and I want us to pick out a common theme that goes all through this chapter. Beginning in, in chapter 11, beginning in verse 7, for example, it says, by faith... Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. So I want you to see Noah had been told by God that he was going to destroy the world with a flood. 
and that Noah and his family would be the only ones saved. And he warned him about that. And Noah, believing that a flood was coming, took a step of faith and built an ark. Even though it had at that time never rained on the earth, at that time where he was living, there was no way he could comprehend how in the world God's going to flood this whole world. But he didn't have to figure out how God was going to do his part. He just needed to do what God told him to do. And so by faith, Noah took an action. He built an ark. The next verse, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to a place he would later receive his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So Abraham heard from God, knew what God wanted him to do, and Abraham 75 years old, and he leaves everything he'd ever known, and he starts on this journey, even though he doesn't know when he starts the journey where he's going to end up. By faith, he obeyed and went. He took an action. In verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Isaac was the, God had given Abraham a promise. He said, it's going to be through your son, Isaac, that I am going to have so many of your, you're going to have so many descendants that would later become the nation of Israel that they will be innumerable like the stars of the sky or the sands of the seashore. And so Isaac's going to be the one, your heir, through whom I fulfill these promises to you. Now, when Isaac is 14 years old, God says to Abraham, I want you to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him to me there on the altar. Now, Abraham thought, wait a minute. God's told me and promised me that Isaac is going to live and that Isaac's going to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and that they're going to be Isaac's 14 years old. He's not married, doesn't have any kids. So I've got this promise from God, but now I'm, I'm being led to do something that doesn't make sense to me. But the Bible says by faith he obeyed and he was offering Isaac as a sacrifice. And Romans tells us in Romans chapter 4 that in, in Hebrews 11 it says that Abraham just believed that God was going to raise him from the dead because he had a promise. And so it says even in the mind of God or in the mind of Abraham, he really was raised from the dead. Now, you know, God didn't let him offer Isaac. He stopped him and, and whatever. But I want you to see that by faith, because Abraham believed this promise of God, he took a step and he obeyed, took an action to obey what God had told him to do. In verse 20 of chapter 11, by faith, Isaac blessed his sons, Jacob, and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on, the, on his staff. Jacob blessed, he worshiped. By faith, Joseph, when he at the end was near, he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and he gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. This fascinates me. It was 400 years before Moses and the Israelites actually left Egypt. And Joseph, though it's 400 years before this happens, he is so certain 
that this is going to happen, that God's going to fulfill his promise and give Israel the land. He's so certain that he says to those as he's dying, be sure and take my bones with you when you go. So 400 years later, Moses and the children of Israel are getting ready to go, and somebody goes, oh, remember Joseph's bones. 400 years. Can you imagine if 400 years ago somebody in this country had said, oh, when such and such happens, be sure and take my bones. So you and I are getting ready to go, and we go, oh, remember that person 400 years ago? Let's be sure and go get his bones. I mean, that's fascinating to me. This goes on and on. Next, By faith, Moses, his parents hid him. Next verse. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused. What I want you, we'll stop there. I want you to see this whole chapter is giving us action steps that each of these people, by faith, they are, they are being honored for their faith, but their faith was demonstrated by an action that they took. Noah built. Abraham left and went. Abraham offered. Isaac blessed, Jacob blessed, worshiped, Joseph spoke, Moses' parents hid. They all have an action verb. So if by faith these people are commended, that passage says, all of them were pleasing to God. And then it says in verse 6, and without this kind of faith, it is impossible to please God. Why? You and I were created for his glory so that he can show up in and through our lives miraculously and supernaturally. He requires you and I to take an action of faith so that we head down this path that sets the stage for God to come through and do the miraculous. So by faith, Noah built. By faith, Abraham obeyed and went. By faith, Moses refused. And by faith, you, what, what are you doing? If your name were added to this chapter, by faith, Glenn, is there something that God has been impressing on you and you really sense this is the Lord? But, you know, you've been looking and hesitating because you've got all these dozens of questions. You know, you look and you just don't know how you could possibly make it happen. You've got all these reasons why you've never started doing what is stirring in there. You keep waiting for God to open the Red Sea. You keep waiting for him to part the waters of the Jordan. You keep waiting for the miracle to happen, but you haven't taken a step of faith yet. All through the Bible, we find illustration after illustration after illustration that God, the miracle doesn't happen until the person first takes a step of faith. In other words, they do some action as a result of their faith. God told Joshua he's going to tear down the walls of Jericho. But the children of Israel had to go march around it every day for six days. Seventh day they marched around seven times, blow the trumpets and shout. Then the walls fell. The walls, the miracle happened, but not till they had taken steps of faith, right? 
I mean, all the way through the Bible. We just have one illustration after the other. We see that <clears throat> Naaman, who was a major military leader in a, in the, for the king of Aram, Naaman was a leper. And so he had a servant girl who told him about a prophet, Elijah in Israel. Naaman goes down there and he's told, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And Naaman's response was he was insulted. He's thinking, really? Elijah didn't even come out even to meet him. He just sent the message uh, by his servant and Naaman is offended. And he's thinking, I came all this way for him to tell me to go dip in the muddy Jordan River. There's a lot better rivers up where I'm from. And so I'll just, if I'm going to dip, I'll go dip up there. And he's storming away. And his servant said, if the prophet had asked you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Can you show a little faith? So Naaman goes out by faith. He probably feels foolish. This makes no sense to him. He dips down in the water. He comes up, still got leprosy. You know everything in him is going, ah, this is useless. But he dips a second time, third time, sixth time, still nothing. The seventh time, he's healed. But he required him to take action. Action. It's interesting to me, and Naaman's a good illustration of this. What healed him was not that Naaman was sitting there in that water so 100% confident in God that that's what brought about the miracle. He was probably sitting there, I don't know if this is going to work or not. He certainly was not very happy about that these were the instructions he was given. He had all kinds of emotions that really weren't what we would characterize faith. But faith is not what you feel. Faith is what you do. It didn't really matter whether he agreed with it, whether he understood it, whether he was afraid, whether he was feeling foolish. It didn't matter what he felt. What mattered was he, by faith, he took an action. He dipped seven times. For some of you, God has impressed on you something that he wants you to do. And you're sitting and you're fearful and you're afraid and you don't, you know, you're confused or you don't know. you got all these emotions and so you think that means you don't have faith. Faith's got nothing to do with how you feel. Faith has to do with what are you going to do. You may take that first step and you may be scared to death. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're scared. If you take a step of action, you are living by faith. And God responds to faith. That's when the miracles happen. We can just tell story after story in the Bible of the step of faith first and then the, then the miraculous intervention of God shows himself strong in their behalf. God is glorified and they get to experience the miraculous intervention and experience of God. That's what God wants for you. When Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, that you might have it abundantly, that's the kind of life he's talking about. 
a life where you see God, the reality of the living God. Many of us go through our whole lives and we believe all these facts about God, but we so seldom see the living God miraculously intervening in our lives, showing up in our lives. But it's not because he doesn't want to. He created you to do that. It's because it requires faith on your part, steps of action. So I would ask you, what are you believing God for in your life right now? What action steps are you taking in your life by faith? Now, if you're watching right now or you're here in this room and you would say, well, I don't, I don't really know what that's supposed to be. Well, that's okay. But I assure you, God has something. That's why you were created. So what he's waiting is for you to come to him and say, Lord, my life is yours. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. Then start seeking him. Lord, what do you want me to do? Read his word. Pray. Ask him to speak to you. Seek his face. And God will guide you and he will work in your heart and he will give you direction. Now, it is not likely you're going to get a telegram. It's not likely that he's going to give you a real detailed instructions of everything, every turn in the road or whatever. He's most likely going to give you maybe a principle in his word, maybe a promise in his word. It may be just some thoughts and this peace that God the Holy Spirit gives you and a desire and, and something you just look and think. I just think sense, can't explain it totally, but I just sense this is what God wants. And you'll have 100 questions, and that may be all you get until you take the first step. I don't know what that is for you. It might be you telling somebody about the dream God's implanted in your heart. It might be you picking up the pen to begin to write. It might be you giving something away. It might be picking up the phone to call someone. It might be applying for that job. It might be enrolling in that course. It might, I don't know what it is. But if you have a sense of what you think the Lord may want you to do, then it may be time for you to take a step, an action step. When I was 17 years old, I had, I had been wrestling some time with whether or not God was calling me to the ministry. And at first, I didn't want to do it. And I was kind of resistant, and I was afraid of it, and I, was, I, I, was afr I, I didn't really want to do it, and I was trying to make deals with God, and I was bargaining with God, and I would say, God, if you won't make me do that, I'll do this, and, and, and I was doing all these deals. But somewhere along the way, the Lord changed my heart, and I began to think, man, there's nothing I'd rather do in my life than just talk to people about Jesus all the time. If I could do that, and that be my life's work, I, I just can't think of anything I'd rather do. But then the problem was, I did not know how God called you. You know, I, I kept waiting for this Damascus Road experience where just this unmistakable blinding light, you know, would, or something similar would happen and I would 
know without any doubt, but that's not what happened. I just had this sense of, man, I, I want to do this for God. I, I, you know, I, I, I think it's the Lord. It's, it's, it's been there for a while. It won't go away. And other people seem to say they sense that's what God wanted me to do. And, but I wasn't sure. And I had all these questions, and I was so afraid I was going to make a mistake. I was so afraid that I'm, 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 I'm young. I'm a teenager. I'm thinking, well, what if I were to go forward in my church and tell everybody I'm called to ministry and, and I'm just 18 years old and, and what if when I graduate from college, I've matured some and I realize that wasn't it at all and I, I would embarrass myself, my family, God, and I was just all these fears. And I kept waiting for God to make this clearer and he didn't. I mean, you would think if God wanted me to preach and God wanted me to be in the ministry, you would think he'd write it in the sky or something. But he didn't. So I wrestled with that for over a year. And I didn't see any real evidence that this is what God wanted me to do. It was just this. So one day I'm talking to an elderly pastor. And I said to him, you know, this is what I feel like God wants me to do. I, I have this desire to do this, but I'm so afraid I'm going to make a mistake. I'm afraid, you know, that if I do this, then this might happen or, you know, whatever. And I've got all these questions and what if five years from now I realize I was wrong and, and whatever. And he looks at me and he said, son, you don't know what God has for you five years from now. What you do know is he's calling you right now. You're not responsible for what's going on five years from now at this point because you're not surrendering your life to a task. You're surrendering to a person, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And your Lord has the right to change the task anytime he wants to along the way. You just obey what you know he wants you to do now. With that, I had a peace, and I thought, okay, my next, I guess then I just need to tell people. The next day, I walked forward in my home church at the invitation, and I stood and I said to them, I believe that God is calling me into full-time ministry. I'm still terrified. I still, I could not even imagine myself standing up and preaching I didn't know how to prepare a sermon. I had all these questions, all these things. But I obeyed and took a step of action. I spoke. By faith, I said, I believe God's calling me to the ministry. When church was over, I drove home, which was about less than 10 minutes away. I walk in the door, and the phone is ringing. I walk over and pick up the phone, and it's a church from 20 miles away. And they said, Glenn, would you consider coming and preaching for us next week? They had no idea what I'd just done that day. But from that point on, the phone began to ring. Nearly every week for the next two and a half years, some church somewhere in North Louisiana was calling, saying, hey, would you come and fill in for us Sunday morning, Sunday night? Now, don't make a mistake of thinking that's because I was any good. I wasn't. I only, they never asked me back. I always got to just go one time. <laughs> but what I'm trying to illustrate is that God began to open the doors. 
But it didn't happen until after I'd stepped into the water, after I had taken a step of faith. Some of you have been waiting and you've been waiting and you've been waiting for God to do something when the reality is God's waiting on you to take a step of faith. I want you to bow your heads. There is no greater life to live than a life of trusting God and watching God come through miraculously and that your life being the platform upon which God reveals himself not only to you, your family, to your friends, to the world. There's nothing like it. You were made for that. But it requires you to live by faith. So will you today say, Lord, I want to live that kind of life. I want to be a person through whom you can display your glory. I want you to use me. I want you, God, to lead me so that you can do miracles in my life and through my life. So what do you want me to do? You seek the Lord and maybe... If you don't know yet what that is, he will give you enough light as you seek him to take the first step. Maybe you already know what that is today, but you haven't done it yet. Maybe some of you already know what the first step would be. Respond to God today with action. Maybe today somebody is here, somebody's watching, and maybe the action you need to take is praying and asking the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to make you a child of God and give you a relationship with God. God created you to live with Him forever. He wanted it's an amazing thing. The eternal almighty God wants a relationship with you. But you and I, all of us, have disobeyed God many times. And the Bible tells us that that disobedience, the Bible calls sin, separates us from God, creates this chasm. It creates this separation, a debt that we cannot pay. And there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing you and I have the power. We cannot save ourselves. We need Jesus to be the hero in our lives. We need him to come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And he waits for you to ask him, to place your faith in him and say, I want to rely upon you, Lord Jesus, to make me a child of God and forgive me of my sins. So if you've never done that, you'd like to do that. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That means rely on him, to entrust yourself to him. You do that. One of the ways you can do that is through praying. So if you'd like to do that right now, maybe by faith you pray this prayer. And you say this to God. Just say something like, Lord Jesus. 
I know that I have sinned a lot. And my sins have separated me from you. And I don't know how to get rid of my sins. And I don't have the ability to get rid of my sins. I need you, Lord Jesus, to save me from my sins. I give my life to you. Take my life and do a miracle. Change me. Make me a child of God. Wash me clean from all my sins. Give me eternal life, a home in heaven, a relationship with God. And from this day forward, I will follow you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. If you just prayed that prayer or something like it, the, the words of the prayer are not even important. It's just, was there in you a desire to commit your life to Jesus, to trust him, to do a miracle for you, to save you from your sins? If that was your heart's desire, the moment you opened your mouth and said, Lord Jesus, a change took place in you. He just made you a brand new person. In fact, we can say with confidence today that if you meant that, welcome to the family of God. You have just been changed both now and forever. In fact, what so many wonderful things just happened to you, you're going to spend the rest of your life learning what those things are. And one of the first things you need to help you now with this new life is a family, a church family. It's what we exist for, to help you. So I'm going to ask if you prayed that prayer with me. If you'll take the gray card of the seat back in front of you and check the box that says, today I prayed to ask Jesus to save me from my sins. And when you walk out, on either side of the auditorium is an offering box. Just drop that filled out card in the offering box and we'll contact you this week and begin to help you get to know Jesus better. Maybe you'd like to join the church. We had a family join in the first service today. Maybe you'd like to join. Just take the great card and check the box. I want to pursue membership in the church. We'll touch base with you this week to show you how the simple process of how to do that. If you are a guest here today, thank you for coming. I know that there are just scores of churches you could visit and the fact that you came here today means an awful lot to us. I hope you were blessed. I hope God touched you. I hope you experienced him. And if you did, you would encourage us if you would take the blue card that's in the seat back and just fill that out. Take you about 10 seconds and just drop it in the offering box as you make your way out. As we get ready to go today, be sure and give your offerings to the Lord. Just put it in the box as you make your way out. And, um, and we rejoice together today at the miraculous things God has done. Our church took two major steps of faith today, took action that are going to build the kingdom. I'm so proud of you. Let's stand together. Did I forget anything? Tonight, yes, thank you. We have a very special service tonight. We, on our fifth Sundays of the month, we have a time with Dr. David Reagan, and he's going to be speaking tonight on, on Bible prophecy and one of the most 
um, overlooked signs of the soon return of Jesus Christ. And so it's going to be great tonight. Starts at 6.30. And then we also have spoken for a wonderful uh, gospel group that will be here leading us in, in a great time together. And so um, uh, we invite you to come tonight, 6.30. I hope that you'll come and be a part of that special time. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for our people. Many here, Lord, um, have family members that are struggling, infected with COVID. Others may be ill in other ways, going through difficult times. I just pray for your, your people. May they experience you in these hard times. Would you show up, Lord, and display your glory and power in their behalf. Lord, should you bless them and let them hear from you this week. Impress on your people by your spirit that lives within them. Show them what you want them to do and give them the faith, O oh God, to take that step. And may you begin to reveal yourself to them and through them in ways beyond anything they ever imagined. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you so much for coming.